0: The following is message number two of a Southeast College Conference. The title of the conference is The Supreme Preciousness of Christ in 1st and 2nd Peter. I believe the Lord gave us a good uh, beginning last night and also a good review uh, this morning. If we could go on, if you could follow with me on your outline on page four, we will cover, uh, attempt to cover these two points Roman numeral 2 and Roman numeral 3 this morning. Uh, how about we read Roman numeral 2 together, okay? Christ himself is the preciousness to his believers. Not only precious, but preciousness. Um, in order, I believe, one of the verses that you pray read this morning is in 1 Peter 2.7a. At the beginning of the outline, it says, To you, therefore, who believe, is the preciousness. <clears throat> so when Peter's valuation of the Lord, his expression of the Lord is preciousness. Preciousness. <clears throat> well, that's quite a, that's quite a description. Um, no matter how much we love someone... I don't know if we ever would say, you are preciousness. You're precious, that's right, as an adjective. But how about preciousness? <clears throat> Yet Peter, in his experience of the Lord, would consider the Lord preciousness, or preciousness itself. <clears throat> as Mark was giving the illustration last night of a courtship and of a marriage, <clears throat> that's always a sweet time, uh, <clears throat> during the time of courtship. I don't know too many uh, ones who court one another would call one another preciousness. Because it is not in our... Surely we love the one we marry. um, But it is not in our vocabulary to call them preciousness. Yet Peter, in his thought about the Lord he would say the Lord is preciousness itself and so I think we have to come to this particular uh, meeting this morning with this thought in mind I I believe we all know um, how many of you have read the New Testament just raise your hand at least once okay keep your hand up if you've read twice how about three times okay Well, three times, okay. How about four times? How about five times? Okay. All right. See this? You got to keep reading again and again and again and again and again. As a college student and as those who maybe recently graduated from college, I hope you would read the New Testament forever. I may be facetious, but I hope you read it again and again and again. <clears throat> the word in which we know the Lord um, is very precious to us. <clears throat> and Peter, as you all know, those of you who have read the New Testament at least once, you all know, Peter's quite a character in the New Testament. Actually, we are all Peter. So when you read the New Testament, just insert your name there. I see Bill Steele, right? <clears throat> he says, and, there, and Bill failed the Lord again right? <laughs> because we're all that way. <clears throat> you don't get the impression that Peter was very successful <laughs> in his time with the Lord. Yet he would call the Lord preciousness. What happened to him? I think if I was so much rebuked by the Lord, I don't think I would consider the Lord as preciousness. I would say the Lord is quite, quite something. <laughs> but whether I would call him preciousness, I don't know. But Peter, <clears throat> in spite of his failures and shortcomings, he was just drawn and charmed and attracted by the Lord. Who is the Lord? Who is the... And the only word he could describe the Lord with is preciousness. <clears throat> well, um, the opening verse here is Philippians 3 8 through 9. <clears throat> and I think the brothers spoke about this. And this is where Paul speaks on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Here we have another one who's a lover of the Lord. If you look at the main writers in the New Testament, they're really all lovers of the Lord. They just got drawn to the Lord. They got attracted to the Lord. So did we. How can we love someone we have never seen? I'll tell you a simple story. My great-grandmother, you know, we're from Hawaii, My great-grandmother was a picture bride. You know what a picture bride is? You've heard of that in U.S. history, where um, in Hawaii, all the young men would come. I had a great-grandfather that came to immigrate to Hawaii to work in the sugar plantations. And because there was a shortage of women there in Hawaii, they would send pictures uh, of the bride and the potential bridegroom back and forth to one another. So my great-grandparents were... My great grandma was a picture bride. All my great-grandfather saw, didn't even get to talk to her. You know, there was no telephone communication at that time. All they saw was a picture of one another. <clears throat> and so my great-grandmother, she saw a picture of, you know, her future husband. And she thought, well, he looks pretty handsome. That's fine. <laughs> and vice versa. <clears throat> uh, that, was, that was the indicator That's how they got married. Well, at that time, to own a suit uh, was, means that you were wealthy. Uh, But what the women did not know, the young men did not know, is that among all the men, they only had one suit. (laughs) So they all wore the same suit, and they had different pictures. So my great-grandmother looked at me, wow, he must be rich, I'm going to marry him. When she got off the boat in Hawaii, um, she was one of the last ones off. This is what my grandmother told the story, one last ones off. And there was only one young man standing there. But because he had been working in the field for so long, his skin was so dark, she said, what happened? She was ready to get back on the boat and sail back. She said, this is ridiculous. I don't know who this is. <clears throat> and she told, she told my grandmother eventually that after the first child was born, she decided to stay with him.
1: <laughs>
0: so. I think maybe sometimes a relationship with the Lord is like that. We kind of see a picture of him. And we say, well, I I think he's okay. He's attractive. But, uh, you know, let me just do my own thing first. Well, the Lord doesn't want to be a picture bridegroom to us. The Lord wants to be a real and living person. Well, I'm so happy that they stayed together. Otherwise, I I may not be here. Right? (laughs) And so when my grandpa- when my grandmother, <clears throat> grandfather told the story, of course, we all chuckled. But our relationship with the Lord sometimes is like that. We consider him just as a picture. And we give him some regard and give him some worship once a week. That's about all. Well, just think, if you have a marriage relationship and you only regard one another one hour once a week. What kind of relationship is that? That's surely not a relationship of love. You could never call, right, your spouse preciousness. Well, yet Peter, in his uh, evaluation and value of the Lord, said that the Lord was precious. <clears throat> so Paul, who was also a lover of the Lord, <clears throat> said this word. He's, he didn't say on account of Christ, I have suffered the loss of everything. Neither did he say on account Of the knowledge of Christ have I suffered the loss. But he said, on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Paul was a marvelous composer. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Just to have Christ is one thing. But here this weekend, what we like to have is not only Christ. Not only the knowledge of Christ, but the excellency of the very person of Christ. If we could give you more of Christ before you leave this weekend, we have done our job. That you would treasure Christ more than anything else. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Otherwise, how could Paul, how could Peter, and these ones follow the Lord? Because the Lord, in their value, became so excellent. Due to the excellency of his person, of Christ's person, Paul said, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. What a divine utterance. What a profound statement. What a profound thought that Christ, revealing who he is, is so excellent. Well, when my great-grandmother... Uh, came to Hawaii, you know, they had a difficult time, <clears throat> right? It was quite poor at that time in those years. That was in the late 1800s. <clears throat> However, uh, as time went on, as generations went on, <clears throat> things became a little easier. But um, the, I would say with Christ, when we <clears throat> uh, get in association I like to use that word purposely, with Christ. When we are uh, not only associated with Christ, but also become one with Christ, even married to Christ, right? We get to inherit all that Christ is. I believe, I don't know, there probably is in, in most marriages today... Right? Whatever is the husbands is the wife's, whatever's the wife's is the husbands. Maybe that's not the case anymore. I don't know. <clears throat> when my wife married me, she didn't have that much. She still doesn't have that much, but anyway, I'm glad she loves me. <clears throat> um, anyway, Christ is our bridegroom when we marry him, we get to inherit all his riches. <clears throat> So, on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, <clears throat> it is derived from the excellency of his person, who he is. Because of who he is, we just consider him excellent. And I was telling some of the um, <clears throat> full-timers yesterday, you just look at our hymno, right? <clears throat> you look at our hymn. Who's got a hymnal here? Brother, uh, Justin, could I use your hymnal here? <clears throat> look at this. This hymno has over... 1,300 songs in it, all written about one person. Excellent. Right, Justin? Look, look, Justin. Stand up, Justin. He's probably excellent. I don't know him that well. Justin Heck from Raleigh, North Carolina. Those of you who know him, he's probably okay, right? Justin's a good... <clears throat> but I don't know if James would write 1,300 songs about Justin. Do you? I mean, how, 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 how excellent is he? Well... Maybe half a song. (laughs) Justin, I love you. Justin, I love you. Justin, you're great. Justin, I love you. That's it. (laughs) We're the same. We're the same. Yet the Lord has attracted and charmed all types of people through all the ages. Uniquely. He has crossed all races. He has crossed all classes. He has crossed all nations. And the unique item of Christ is that they've all been, we have all been attracted to Christ. Just look in this room. Look at all the different colors, shapes, sizes, backgrounds, all the things. And yet the Lord has attracted us. Granted, we got distracted with other things, but we're here this weekend. Just being here means we're open to be reattracted by the Lord. And this is just one hymnal, my goodness. You know, Charles Wesley, a famous hymn writer, who was the brother of John Wesley during the time of the English Reformation, um, John Wesley would speak the gospel, and Charles Wesley would write the hymns according to the truth. Charles Wesley said that when the truth is spoken, people hear it, and that's all. Maybe they hear it one time. But when the truth is put into a song and you sing it again and again and again, the song, the truth, puts the truth, that song puts the truth into you until it becomes part of you. And so Charles Wesley's desire was to put the truth in a song that we could sing again and again. And we have a number of songs from Charles Wesley. He wrote, just himself, wrote close to 7,000 songs about Christ. He was attracted. He was charmed by the Lord. Well, we may not be able to write that many songs, but we can sing. We can sing something. We can sing something. Sometimes you just have to make up your own songs. That's okay. The Bible says, make a joyful, not music, not chamber music, make a joyful noise. So you can squeak, you can squawk, it doesn't matter. It's joyful noise, right? So long our heart is involved. It's good that the Lord gave us all kinds of voices. And they're all joyful to the Lord. So just the hymnal is a testimony of the Lord's preciousness and the Lord's value. Uh, We're happy that uh, a number of the brothers and sisters at a certain age at a certain time. The Lord is arranging that they could get married. But I don't think that any of you would write a lot of songs about your spouse. Well, maybe before you get married, you do. But after you get married, maybe not. (laughs) But with the Lord, it's the opposite. We get engaged to him, we get married to him, and all of a sudden songs come out. So we're writing songs about someone we have never seen with our eyes. But we have seen with our inward eyes. Right. Okay, I better go on. So, Paul's experience is he saw Christ, and on account of Christ, he counted everything lost, that he could gain Christ, that he could run after Christ, that he could pursue Christ, that he could seize Christ. That he could know Christ. That he could know the power of his resurrection. That he could know the fellowship of his suffering. That he could know the conformity of his death. That he could forget the things behind. That he could stretch forward. That he could pursue. That he could attain to the highest resurrection. He was a madman when he came to Christ. He seized Christ. He wanted to lay hold of Christ. He didn't want to, do, he didn't want to let Christ go. He wanted to gain everything he could of Christ. He was such a pursuer of Christ. And you know what? Paul said, he's the less than the least of all the saints. That means you and I are greater than Paul. If he pursued Christ, so can we. This weekend we're here to pursue Christ. We want to gain Christ. Right now, let's say in our seat, by faith, Lord, I want to gain you. The Lord will answer that prayer. We want to gain him, and he wants to be gained by us. How about we read A together? And I'm going to ask if Bobby could help me. If you could get your Bible out, Bobby, I'll ask you to read some verses. But how about we read A together? Could we? Peter, Peter, Peter. You read the New Testament, and Peter's outstanding. Not in a good way, but he's just outstanding. Brother Lee shared one time that Peter just had a big nose. You know, when you have a big nose, that gets hit first, right? When you walk into the door, your nose, Peter just had a big nose. So his nose always got hit, you know. But he became the best example to us. He's just our pattern, and actually, we're just all Peter, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but in the next stage, it says that we will sit with these ones. I just cannot wait to have a few days with Peter and just ask him about all the incidences in the Bible. Peter, look at that. You were trying to hide that out. Now the whole world gets to read about it. <laughs> Peter was Mr. Macho. You will see that. And then he became Mr. Chicken. He went from macho to chicken man, macho man to chicken man, in less than one day. It's not only his personal failure. The whole world gets to read his failure. It's one thing to fail personally and apologize, Lord, I fail. I'm shortcoming. It's another thing to fail and everybody in the whole earth gets to read about your failure. And yet Peter still loved the Lord. (laughs) It wasn't because of Peter's energy and Peter's strength. It was because of the Lord's charmingness Amen. and attractiveness that gained Peter. Well, <clears throat> I was considering this. How can you summarize Peter's life <clears throat> in this way? I would just like to use the incident of fishing. And you will see through this incident of fishing, the Lord did something to Peter. Number one, through fishing, he called Peter. Number three, through fishing, he perfected Peter, number three through fishing. He restored Peter, number four through fishing. what? <clears throat> he told Peter the way to live by faith. Amen. All this is revealed in the Bible. First starting i 'm going to ask Bobby to read Luke 5, eight through eleven. <clears throat> Here is the miracle. You know Peter uh, <clears throat> and his brother, they were professional fishermen there on the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> they used nets, they were out in boats, and this was their profession. They knew how to fish. <clears throat> Their father, no doubt, they were probably from generations of fishermen. So, <clears throat> here comes the Lord on the seashore. This is the second time, actually, <clears throat> that he met Peter. You remember the first time he met Peter, Andrew brought him there to meet, meet the Lord, and the Lord changed his name. Then the second time, the incident here in Luke chapter 5. Okay, if you could read that, Bobby, just read it loudly. <clears throat>
1: Amazement had taken possession of him, and all who were with him because of the catch of the fish which they took. And likewise also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men alive. And when they had brought the boats to the land, they left all and followed him. So
0: the incident here is the night before they went out, they went fishing all night, they caught nothing. Then it was daytime, and the Lord said, Peter, put down your net on this side. I'm sure Peter said, Lord, what do you know? I'm the fisherman. I'm professional. I'm the professional fisherman. We didn't catch anything. There's no fish out here. They all escaped. They're all sleeping. But because of your word, Master, I will do that. Like, "Mm, sure, we're going to really catch something. All of a sudden, a great number of fish, their nets begin to tear apart. This became a miracle of fishing. This attracted Peter. And then it says that he left all and followed him. Well, I think there's probably something in Peter. He left and followed him because he realized that, boy, we've got the best fishermen on the earth. (laughs) He was a a businessman. The Lord knew. We got this man here. His name is Jesus. He can tell me where all the fish. He probably saw the fish there somehow. And so if I'm with him, we're not going to be short of fish anymore. That means we're going to be rich. So, he followed the Lord. I'm surmising, forgive me, Peter, I'm surmising, but I believe there's some element. Why? Because we're just the same as he is. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have followed him, because he knew, right, what kind of life would this be. But the Lord, he knew how to catch fish. So, then, we'll go on. Peter was there. They were with the Lord three and a half years. I'm just giving you the background of Peter to show you how he considered the Lord precious. Okay, in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, the Lord began to perfect Peter through fishing. Because Peter, at this time, exercised his presumptiveness. He presumed something. There were 12 disciples. They were all chosen by the Lord, right? And he took the lead among them. He was the leader among them. And so, because as the leader, he presumed. Somebody came to ask him about paying tax, about the Lord paying tax. And he presumptuously answered. Okay? This is in Luke. Uh, excuse me. Is that right? In Matthew. Matthew 17. Go ahead. <clears throat> 24 through 27. Yeah. Stand up. <clears throat>
1: when they came to
0: Capernaum. A little, little louder. Yeah.
1: And when they came to Capernaum, those who take up the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does not your teacher pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the he house. He said, Yes.
0: He said, Yes. He didn't even check with the Lord. He just said, yes. (laughs) That's just like us.
1: And when he came into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth receive custom or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when he said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, So then the sons are free. But that we do not stumble them, go to the sea and cast a hook. And take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a stator. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So Peter
0: answered presumptuously about paying the poll tax. <clears throat> then the Lord anticipated that Peter would ask him about that. <clears throat> or that Peter failed and acted presumptuously. So the Lord asked him, who pays the tax? Do the, the sons or the citizens? Only the citizens pay. The sons of the king don't pay the tax. In other words, the Lord says, I'm the son. I'm the son of the king. I don't need to pay tax. But because, so we don't stumble others. We don't stumble these ones. You go fishing. But isn't it interesting? The Lord says, don't go fishing with a net. Go fishing with a hook. Right? It's to the hook there, Bobby, right? Did you did you read that portion? Listen. You have to read the word carefully. Listen. Read that portion again, Bobby. Just that
1: one verse. 27, I think. Yeah, but that we do not stumble them, go to the sea and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a stator. Take that and give it to them for me and you. He was a
0: professional fisherman with net. You know, I still have relatives in Hawaii that fish with nets. They catch a lot <clears throat> that way. I have a cousin and I have an uncle that lives there. They live in Pahala on the big island of Hawaii. <clears throat> and certain times of the year they can go out and they can see where the fish are. And they can. <clears throat> I cannot see. I was there a few years ago. Was we were there on the ocean. They were getting ready to net fish. They said, Dennis, they look, look at all the fish. I went, where, where? <laughs> I said, they're just over there, just over there. They threw the nets in. No doubt, they just brought the <clears throat> brought the fish in. <clears throat> I like fishing too, <clears throat> but I've never caught a fish with a coin in its mouth. How long do you think Peter was there with the hook? Whether they had poles, I don't know if they had poles. He, had probably, he probably just had a hook with a line waiting. How long? Do you think the Lord came right away to give him a fish? No. I like to ask Peter, how long? Were, Peter, how many hours were you there? All that time he was waiting for a fish. This is humbling. He knew how to catch fish professionally with a net. The Lord says, go use a hook. What did he use for bait? I don't know. But he was there, he was there fishing, just waiting, waiting for one fish. He probably, the Lord probably gave him a few fish individually, but no fish had a coin in its mouth. He had to wait, 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 wait. I've caught a lot of fish over my life, but not once have I ever caught a fish with a coin in its mouth. Peter was just there waiting, oh Lord Jesus. When's this fish gonna, I've never caught a fish with a coin. What fish would eat a coin, dumb fish? The Lord was just there. Peter was just there. He learned. He was considering, what kind of mistake did I make? I'm not going to open my mouth ever again. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, please bring this fish. I want out of here, Lord. I want to do something else. Here, I'm waiting. Those of you who fish, you know, sometimes you have to wait a long time for one fish to come. And the fish finally comes, it's too small to keep. You've got to throw it away. <clears throat> well, anyway, the Lord perfected Peter through this fishing. I just want to show you what kind of person Peter is because he's just like us. Those of you who like fishing, uh, you can can understand. Okay, now Peter failed through the fishing miracle. And this is in John 21, especially the first 14 verses in John 21. But I'm going to have Bobby just read a few of the verses in John. Here the Lord and Peter... Peter is following the Lord, little by little. There was a great, he had a great failure. We'll get to that. And then all of a sudden, after the Lord resurrected, the Lord came to the disciples, and Peter took the lead in John 21. Maybe, uh, I will say something here, Bobby, to save you to read, read some verses. In John 21, the first 14 verses, the Lord resurrected, right? They lost their source of income. They lost their source of supply. The disciples said, now, you know, here were 12 men following the Lord Jesus. They're walking all over Galilee, all over Palestine, just walking, just doing everything, just watching the Lord. And they were all supplied by food. All of a sudden, the Lord dies, and they think he's dead. And so they lost their source. They lost their, they lost their source of supply. They lost, they lost everything. Now they had no way. How are they going to live now? The Lord Jesus is gone. And so Peter, who's taking the lead, even after his big failure, says, I'm going fishing. (laughs) They said to him, we also are coming with you, Peter. You take the lead. We're just coming with you. They went and they got into the boat and they fished the whole night. They caught nothing. Then the Lord Jesus was there on the shore. Little children, do you have any fish to eat? They said, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They cast, therefore, and they were no longer able to haul it in because of the abundance of fish. The other disciples came to the little boat. One of the disciples says to Peter, it is the Lord! It is the Lord! They didn't recognize him. When they got out of the boat on the land, they saw a fire of coals laid there and fish lying on it and bread. So, through the fish failure, <clears throat> here they were, again, professional fishermen. They fished all night. No fish was there. Then the morning comes. The Lord's on the seashore. Tell, cast it on that side. They caught, even tells you how many, I believe, 153 large fish, so that the net was torn. Another miracle of fishing. Through that <clears throat> miracle of fishing, Peter failed. Why? He failed to follow the Lord in resurrection by going back to his old profession to take care of his livelihood. But then, Peter would not only fail through this, but was restored. The Lord restored him through this way. And we will get into that Maybe at another time, we also see that through this example, the Lord cared for Peter. And the Lord showed Peter the way to live and follow him. That if Peter and the disciples would follow the Lord, the Lord would supply all their needs. We shouldn't be afraid of serving the Lord full time. We shouldn't trust in just the abundance of the sea we shouldn't trust on our ability for our livelihood. We may be in the abundance of the sea, but we have nothing to show for it. The Lord is on the land where there's no fish, yet he had the abundance of fish and bread there. He supplies where there is no apparent supply. If the Lord is calling us, we have to follow him, brother or sister. Sisters, if the Lord would give you a husband that wants to follow the Lord, that wants to serve the Lord full-time, don't hinder him. Allow him to follow the Lord. You just be one with him. Don't worry about your security. Don't worry about this or that. The Lord has fish and bread there on the fire. He supplies all the need where there's no supply available. He knows. Let's see. 1983, how long is that? 25 years. The Lord called me to begin to serve the Lord 25 years ago. It's not a long time. It's not a short time. But I would have to say that in all these years, there has been fish and bread there. Miraculously sometimes. We don't know how it's there, but sometimes it's just there. We just follow the My wife was just one with me. raise four kids. My wife is just one with me. We just we are still following the Lord. <clears throat> so, even in this regard, through fishing, the Lord showed Peter. So I just want to point this out. So here's a picture. Now <clears throat> we come to <clears throat> uh, another aspect of Peter that uh, Even though it talks about this, that he failed miserably, he still followed the Lord in the outline as a shepherd unto his martyrdom. In Matthew chapter 26, before the Lord's crucifixion, Peter was there. And this is what he says. The Lord says to the disciples, Jesus said to them, you will all be stumbled because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd. And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Then Peter answered and said to him, If all will be stumbled because of you, I will never be stumbled. I will never be stumbled. Mr. Macho. I don't think Peter was a small brother. I think he was probably somebody like Justin. Look, 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 Justin. Man. Big brother. <laughs> strong. Picking up all that fish, all the nets and the boats. And They didn't have any motorized boats. They had to go out there this way, right? Peter, no doubt, was strong. Big, you know, big brother. <clears throat> and he was boasting in front of all the disciples. All the disciples, you're chicken. Look, I will never be stumbled. Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, that in this night, in that night, before a rooster crows, you would deny me three times. What do you think Peter thought? No way, Lord. No way. Peter said to him, how do I know? Because Peter answered. The Lord didn't ask him anything. But Peter answered and said, even if I must die with you, I will by no means deny you. Bring them on, bring them on, bring them on. I'll die with you, Lord. And all the disciples said, likewise. Kind of sure, well, Peter, you just, you just go up in front. We'll follow you. Then, <clears throat> the first failure that Peter had was when the Lord asked him to pray, when the Lord was praying there. He came to the disciples three times, to Peter, to James, and to John. He came to them three times they weren't able to watch and pray with him. Three times they fell asleep. The first failure is the Lord says, watch and pray with me. My soul is sorrowful and deeply distressed. Watch and pray with me. Three times Peter couldn't. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. The Lord woke him up, woke him up, woke him up. He fell asleep. So this is significant. Three times he failed in this matter of watching and praying. Then, in Matthew, the continuation. You know, it's so good that all the four accounts of the Gospels mention Peter's account here. Mention what happened. So I'm just reading one portion in Matthew. They came. The Lord was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you all know what happened. Then the people came to seize the Lord. And Peter... Mr. Macho Man, came out and said what? They were beginning to lay hands on Jesus. And Peter drew his sword. A fisherman with a sword. (laughs) And struck the slave of the high priest and took off his ear. Let me ask you. Do you think a fisherman would have good, that good of an aim to cut off an ear. He was going for his head and he missed it. <laughs> this is one of the things the small things I like to ask Peter. Peter, what, you know, that's pretty good. You know, if he tried to cut off my ears, pretty close to my head. That takes skill. Peter was a good fisherman. I don't think he was a good swordsman. The slave probably did duck or something. I think Peter was going for the head. He cut off the ear. I'm, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to deny you, Lord. I'm going to fight for you. I'm the leader. I'm Mr. Macham. Ju And the ear comes off. <clears throat> Here, the Lord is going to be crucified the very next morning, and he has to do instant surgery, picking up the ear and putting it back on. If I was the Lord, forget about the ear. Let it stay there. They're coming to arrest me. Forget about those people. And the Lord says, Peter, what are you doing? I can call my father. He can send 12 legions of angels. How many many angels is that? I don't know. All those people will be instantly evaporized. Peter, put away your sword. The sword is not going to help. I appreciate your love for me, but the sword is not going to help. He's probably the only one with the sword. I don't know what the other disciples were doing. It doesn't indicate, so they probably took off. Let Peter face them. Then, Peter said, there's the indication that he, I appreciate Peter's boldness, because he followed the Lord. They let him off. Here was a serious situation. They let him off to be judged by the high priest, by Caiaphas, by Pilate. Illegal, I call this a kangaroo court. illegal. They did it in the nighttime, in the middle of the night, when no public was there. This is a Roman this is a Roman city, and they did this court, so-called night, at night court, and they brought in false witnesses and they did this and they did that so-called they, they did the whole thing when the, when the, when the whole public was, was asleep. It's a terrible, what a terrible situation. And yet Peter was there following them. He followed them. There's one indication there he was standing by the door and he was waiting to get in. There was another disciple, should have been John, who was known by the high priest. And John let him come in. John talked to somebody there and let him come in. And Peter was there warming himself. And you all know the story. And it said, Here the Lord was being questioned, the Lord was being beaten, the Lord was being slapped. The Lord was there, and they were asking him, these evil ones, who prophesied, or who hit you? Prophesied, who hit you? Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. I appreciate his boldness, he was there. A servant girl came to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. He denied it before all. First, he said, I will never deny you. A little servant girl asked him. He didn't just answer the servant girl. He denied it before all. Everyone there, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. After he had gone out to the porch, another girl saw him. The Lord did not use a big Roman centurion soldier. The Lord used a little servant girl to expose Peter's self-confidence in himself. A little servant girl came to him. You were also with him. This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Where was the Lord? The Lord was in hearing distance. I do not know that man. After a little while, those who were standing there came to Peter and said, Surely you are also one of them. For your speech also makes it clear that you are. There was even a relative of the slave of the one Peter cut the ear off. He also recognized Peter in the garden. There were three witnesses. You only need two. Three witnesses that Peter was there. And he denied it all three times. Perjury. That was the real court. The real trial was not with the Lord. That was false. The real trial actually was Peter's trial. The Lord called him that Peter could see. Here, the Lord was being tried, being examined. He came out victorious. Here, Peter was being tried in the real court and he became a miserable failure. He perjured himself three times, he lied three times publicly to two little girls. I do not, he began to curse and swear. I do not know that man. Immediately, the rooster crowed. Here he was. I will never deny you, Lord. I will fight with you. I will die for you. I do not know that man. The rooster crowed. Then, the account in John said, when the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's why we have the song that we sang last night. Tis that face that Peter saw. Tis that face that Peter saw. Is that what it is? Tis that look. Tis that look that melted Peter. What look? The Lord looked at Peter. Then it says Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said that very night. Before a rooster crows, you would deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the only account, I believe, in the New Testament where we see Peter weeping bitterly. Here he came from Mr. Macho Man. Then later on that evening, he was Mr. Chicken Man. Don't blame Peter so much. We're the same way. How many times have we denied the Lord publicly? Somebody is ranting and raving about God. Cursing the Lord. Yet we just say, I don't know the Lord. I'm not saying be antagonistic, be challenging, don't be provocative in that way. But when somebody asks us something, we should open and tell them, I'm a lover of the Lord. Yet we become a chicken. How many times brothers tell us, maybe we have to go out and pass out the mystery of human life or pass out something or pass a gift, something on the campus. And yet we're sitting next to a friend of ours. Inwardly, the Lord is speaking, speak something, speak something. Then they ask us, what'd you do over the weekend? Oh, well, I went, uh, I went out to the Georgia woods and I was uh, out there at Fort Yago and yeah, I had a good time. What is that? That is just like Peter. We're ashamed. We deny the Lord. We deny the Lord right there <clears throat> to a friend that we've been praying for. That's an opening question on Monday morning when you have class Monday afternoon. Somebody says, what did you do over the weekend? We parted, We did this. We did this. What would you do? Uh, well, I, um, I um, uh, we had some good food. Uh, we had... <laughs> what is that? That is denying the Lord. <clears throat> why can't we say, Lord, why can't we say, well, I'll tell you what happened. I fell in love with my bridegroom. I, God, engaged again. Amen. (laughs) I'm sorry. It seems like every time I come, Vern, I'm talking about engagement because this is what the Lord is doing. We're engaged to him, but you know what we do? We just kind of go off to other people, and the Lord exercises his jealousy. You know, I have never met a person so jealous as the Lord. you think Mark is jealous? Oh, my God. When you compare it to God, you know, we're not supposed to be jealous. That's one of the commandments, right? <clears throat> we're not supposed to be jealous. Yet God is so jealous over us. He would exercise his jealousy. I guarantee you, I can only say that some of you, somebody's going to ask you tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday, what would you do over the weekend? Are you going to be Mr. Macho Man? Are you going to be Mr. Chicken Man? Or what are you going to be? You just say the truthfully. I just enjoy the Lord. And I wish you could learn how to enjoy the Lord also. (laughs) I will never speak to you again. You don't know. Sometimes those reactions means, please help me. Please help me. That's exactly what I did when the gospel was preached to me. (laughs) I was saying, you know if God is real I'm in trouble but that was my response to the gospel somebody spoke the gospel to me I pushed him away physically just pushed him away he was standing in the doorway he he asked me about the lord I just pushed him away and walked right through <clears throat> yet the lord eventually slowly attractively gained me to himself Don't worry about people's reactions. Just tell them we love the Lord. You may not be able to defeat them in communication. You may not be able to defeat them in argument. You may not be able to defeat them in rhetoric and any kind of thing. But no one can take away your genuine experience of Christ. This is what you speak. I love the Lord and the Lord Jesus is so real to me. He is not a religion. He is a real, living, lovely person. He is preciousness itself. So you have Peter here who denied the Lord three times. You remember, he failed three times in watching and praying with the Lord. Here he denied the Lord three times, saying, I do not know him. And he went out and wept bitterly. Don't you think at this point in time he lost his self-confidence? God. What an experience. What an experience. You have two brothers in the New Testament. Paul was threatening and murdering, agreeing to the murder, witnessing to the murder of the fellow believers of Christ. Peter denying the Lord publicly when just a few hours before he said he would never deny the Lord. You have two great, great, great failures, both recorded in the Bible, yet both became Real lovers of Christ. That means there's hope for us. There's hope for us. Right? Francisco, you may not love the Lord so much, but I don't think you've murdered Christians yet, have you, Francisco? No. That means that your pursuit can be more than Paul's. Paul said, I took, I, I got rid of all these believers, and yet the Lord still had mercy on me. <clears throat> Francisco, what about us? We can love the Lord. And we're not ashamed, and we're not afraid to love the Lord. <clears throat> I told this before, you know, I'm sure this has happened in Georgia. And <clears throat> um, Mark and I are from Southern California, so we didn't get to stand up. <clears throat> but we're from Southern California. And sometimes you know, especially in the summer months, the spring and the summer months, planes fly by right above <clears throat> the whole Southern California, and it says, you know, I love Abby, and it's just, it's just somebody rented this plane, and this this big banner sign, and I'm sure Ralph says to Abby, look up in the sky at a certain time, <laughs> you will see my message, and Abby's anticipating, looking. She looks. Ooh, <laughs> he really loves me. He really loves me. <clears throat> this man, Ralph, would able to be able to spend so much. I don't know how much mark that would cost. Probably thousands of dollars. That's his value. Thousands of dollars to say he loved Abby. <clears throat> well, I think if I was Abby, I would be touched too. Wow, Ralph really loves me. <clears throat> Yet, when it comes to the things of the Lord. <clears throat> I love the Lord Jesus. I love the Lord. Yes, I love the Lord. (laughs) I'm not saying to rent a plane and say, you know, I'll say Gloria loves Jesus. That's good, Gloria. You can do that one day, maybe. But she doesn't have to advertise that. Just by speaking one-on-one with someone, she can say, I love the Lord Jesus. It's very simple. Well, here is Peter's. And yet, when he came to the Lord, right? Peter still considered the Lord preciousness. Then, <clears throat> in John 21, the continuation, the Lord restored Peter. You remember? Peter failed the Lord in watching and praying three times. He failed the Lord by denying the Lord three times. Then, the Lord came to him to restore Peter's love to him by asking him three times, do you love me? The Lord asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I think I would be a little bothered if my wife would ask me three times, honey, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Do you love me? If you ask me that, I'm not going to love you. Philip, you have to tell Kasha a hundred times that you love her. Not just one, not just in a year. It, it's 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 very interesting that all our wives need the assurance that you know they know that we love them. And I know Kasha knows that she that Philip loves her, but she likes to hear it again and again. I love you. 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 It seems like the sister wives don't get tired of that, right? I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. We do love them. It's the same way with the Lord. The Lord likes us to tell him a hundred times a day, Lord Jesus, I love you. Right now, I love you. I don't like this class, but I love you. I don't like this professor, but I love you. I want to get out of this class, but I still love you. I'm afraid to talk to anybody. I'm Mr. Chicken Embodied. I still love you. I'm Miss Chicken Embodied. I still love you more. Lord, it's so good that Peter was the illustration. He's a man, I'm a lady. Praise the Lord, I'm exempt. No. We just say, Lord, I'm scared to say anything to somebody, but I still love you. Lord, there's so much traffic on 85, interstate 85, but I love you. We complain about the traffic, but we miss loving the Lord in a very practical way. In a very practical way. We can say, Lord, I love you. And we will really see, we will be drawn to the Lord. The Lord just likes to hear us, to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. What's wrong with saying that? Right? What's wrong with saying that? There's nothing wrong with it. <clears throat> if people can do that publicly, <clears throat> even between two human beings, how about us? We shouldn't be ashamed of loving the Lord. I love the Lord Jesus. Amen. I love the Lord. How about we just say that three times together. Lord Jesus, I love you. Amen. Lord Lord Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I I love love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. you. One time, Lord Jesus, I really love you. Lord Lord Jesus, I really love you. The more we say, Lord Jesus, I love you, the more we love him this is really the case. Lord Jesus, I love you. No other religion appeals to the follower's love. Only the Lord. Only the Lord. We are not here following rules. We're not here trying to break, not trying to break rules. We're here loving the Lord as our bridegroom. And this is why Peter called the Lord preciousness. Amen. Then Peter, James, John had been admitted into the highest degree of initiation at the Lord's transfiguration, admitted to the initiated to be the initiated specters of his majesty. A mount of transfiguration, right? Peter was there, but his failure was there again. Wow. Wow. Look, at Jesus is here. Moses is here. Elijah is here. Whoo! This is great. What a party. All these three people are here. I'm going to build three tabernacles. Where did he get that idea? presumptuous peter where'd he get that he's gonna be in other words he put it he's putting moses and elijah who are testimonies of the lord who are shadows of christ on the same level with christ that's like mark having eleanor as his wife there and Eleanor's with him in the house but he also has two pictures of her One on the left and one on the right. He says, oh, look at those pictures. Eleanor, Eleanor, I love you, I love you. Look at that picture, Eleanor, I love you. Eleanor's standing right in the middle there saying, Mark, I'm here. Throw those pictures away of me. They're just my representative. Wouldn't it be strange if Mark just came and kissed the pictures? Mark, kiss me, 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 me. I'm here. That's what Peter was doing. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're going to kiss Moses. We're going to kiss Elijah. And the Lord says, forget about those two. They're just pictures of me. Kiss me. Listen to me. Peter there, this is the only instance where God intervened. (laughs) The Lord, Peter says, the majestic glory overshadowed. A cloud came immediately. Peter, shut up. (laughs) This is my beloved son. Hear him. What did they do? They hit the deck. (laughs) I said, oh, Lord, (laughs) they
1: were there. (laughs)
0: All three of them were there on the ground. They were there. They probably didn't dare get up. Then the Lord finally touched them. You know, <clears throat> touched them and came. And then they rose up. Well, this is also Peter. This is why I encourage you, we would encourage you, to keep reading the New Testament. Keep reading the Old Testament. I'm reading, I'm, in my Bible reading, I'm in Jeremiah and in <clears throat> First Corinthians. And I've read Jeremiah a number of times. I've read the Bible a number of times. But I'm reading Jeremiah again. It is so sweet. I've got a few Bibles. You know, <clears throat> when I first started reading the Bible, I would use five different translations. I have them all different marked, different kinds and different so I just read, and I just read. I'm back now <clears throat> to a to I have the recovery version of the Old Testament. Back, and I've read this one before and I've got it marked at different places, highlighted. And reading it again, I'm just, I just can't, I can't believe. I didn't realize that verse was there. Yet I highlight highlighted the last time I read it, but it was it was so sweet again. Jeremiah is such a sweet book. It is such a sweet book. I'm just reading it again and again and again. It is so good just to read the word again and again. We get to know who the Lord is. <clears throat> okay. Then how about we read C together? Could we do that? In His ascension. The Lord is the Lord of all. In his ascension, he's the majestic. He is part. He's judge. He's lawmaker. And he's king. Judicial branch. Legislative branch. And the what branch? What's that? Executive Executive branch. So the Lord is the king, the lawmaker, and the judge. Number three, the precious stone for God's building is Christ himself. I hope... um, that after I conclude, you'd be prepared to share something. We'd like for you to have some speaking and some response from last night's meeting, from your reading, and also from the fellowship this morning. <clears throat> and we will also ask you, maybe in the afternoons, to read some portions. We have some marvelous excerpts here. Okay, if we could read, come back to page 4, excuse me, page 3, and just read the second verse together, okay? First Peter 2, 4, 6 through 7.
1: coming Coming to him a living stone, rejected by men, but with God chosen and precious. For it is contained in scripture, Behold I lay in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and he who believes on him shall by no means be put to shame. To you therefore who believe is the preciousness, but to the unbelieving
0: then I'd like you to read. I'll have Bobby read one verse. I'll ask him to turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Okay, Bobby will read that. I just want you to write that verse down so you can use it as a, as a reference for later on. That's Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Okay. This is Peter speaking. Um, his second message, or his second speaking, speaking the gospel to the Jewish people. <clears throat> okay, go ahead. Eight through twelve. Acts chapter four. Listen to this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the very Peter that denied the Lord fifty days ago. Maybe sixty days ago, he denied the Lord. The Lord restored him. He saw the Lord physically in resurrection. He saw the Lord physically go up in ascension. And there the Lord was speaking to them, the kingdom of God, for 50 days On the, in resurrection. And here, Peter is altogether different. He stood up. He's not chicken anymore. He became filled with the Spirit, and he became filled with the Word of God, not because he just got instantly, he knew the Word. No, he was also a Jewish believer. He knew the Old Testament, and he alluded to the Old Testament in many of his speakings. But listen to what he says.
1: said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we today are being examined regarding a good deed done to a sick man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God has raised from the dead, in this name, this man stands before you in good health. Amen. This is the stone which was considered as nothing by you, the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Amen. And there is salvation in no other. Amen. For neither is there another name under heaven given among men in, which men in which we must be saved. So here
0: you have Peter speaking about salvation. A man was healed there by the temple. They were all impressed. Peter said, don't be impressed with us. We do it in the name of Jesus, who you crucified. A few weeks ago, you crucified this very man. But now, we speak in this man's name. Peter was filled with boldness. He was filled with the Word of God. He was no longer a chicken. He didn't deny the Lord to that female slave or that female woman, that woman there, that small servant girl. He began to proclaim boldly to the Jewish people, In this name, Jesus, who you crucified, has this man been made whole. Not only did he speak about the Lord as the Savior to save people from their sins, but right away he brings in the stone. The stone. In his gospel message, he not only spoke about the Lord being the Savior, but he also spoke about the Lord being the stone, rejected by the builders, rejected by the Jewish people believers excuse me by the jewish leaders and yet so much treasured by god this is quoted in first peter chapter 2 we can see something very very significant here number 1 that in eternity past god chose this very man jesus but that was secret nobody knew about it he was chosen it says chosen and precious Chosen and precious. But that was only the first choosing of the Lord Jesus. The second choosing was the choosing proved by resurrection. When the Lord was resurrected from the dead, when God raised Jesus from the dead as a man, that was proof that God chose this one the second time. He chose him in eternity past, but he also chose him in resurrection. That this one would be exalted. A man would be exalted. As the ruler of the universe, today, in this whole universe, there is a man that is ruling the whole universe. Not just one in his divinity, but one who has humanity. The divine God-man is ruling the universe today. This one has the element of divinity and humanity. And he is on the throne, and all authority has been given to him. And this is the very Jesus who the Jewish leaders rejected, despised, I would even say sardonically, they despised him. Yet the Lord would exalt him, God would exalt him, and gave him a name, which is above every name, that in this name we could be saved. So, this is what it means to be chosen. Not just chosen by God in eternity past, but chosen through resurrection. Resurrection was a great choosing. Let me ask you, in this whole human history, who has been resurrected and is still living? There's been resurrections. Lazarus has been resurrected. Aren't you looking forward, Francois, to talk to Lazarus? Wow, he was dead four days. He was already stinky. That's what the Bible says. That's not me. The Bible says he was already stinky. His sister says, Lord Jesus, he's already stinking. Don't, don't, don't open the tomb. <clears throat> she had a lot of opinions, right? His dear sister. Then he got raised from the dead, but he died again, right? Is there Lazarus still living? No, he's not living. God raised Jesus from the dead as a proof of his choosing. <clears throat> okay, not only so, <clears throat> but Peter, in his speaking, in his testimony, said that what? <clears throat> this is the stone. Come back to John chapter 1, when Andrew found the Lord as the Messiah. And he told Peter, come, come, see the Messiah. Come see Christ. When, he, when, when Andrew introduced Christ to Peter, what did Christ do? The first thing that Christ did was he changed his name from Simon to Cephas. Cephas means stone. That was the first introduction. How about if I, my first introduction to Francois last night, right? Stand up. We, we, we met one another. Hi, I'm Dennis. You are Francois? Your name shall be called Peter. They say, who are you to change my name? This, is what I, this made an impression. He, you know, Peter said, okay, I will take my name's Peter. He changed his name. Complete stranger, he just changed his name. <clears throat> then, <clears throat> what does this mean? Whenever you have the genuine experience of Christ, what comes out is the building is the stone. What is the stone for? The stone is good for God's building. Whenever you read about stone in the Bible, you have to think about God's building. The purpose of God's salvation is his building. What is the building? The building is the body of Christ. The building is the church. It is not a physical building. It is the aggregate of all the believers put together, right, who enjoy Christ? And this building, which is in spirit, grows. This is a growing building. This is an organic growing building. And this is all implied by this word stone. Let me repeat again. This is the purpose of God's salvation. God's salvation is not just to save us from our sin. Thank the Lord for that. We've been saved from our sin. God's salvation, according to the Bible, is that those who are saved from sin would be built up into God's eternal habitation. Where does God dwell? God dwells in his eternal habitation. Who's is his eternal habitation? His eternal habitation are all the real and genuine believers who allow Christ to make his home in their heart. Amen. God is not interested in living in heaven. What a boring place! It's like a heavenly hotel. It doesn't matter what kind of hotel. If you're going to be there, if you're living there for eternity, you're going to get tired. There's no place like home, right? Thank the Lord we have some, you know, there's some nice cabins here or there's different places. But this is not home. It's not home. The Lord has been dwelling in heavenly hotel for eternity. He's tired of it. Where does he want to dwell? He wants to dwell in his loving and seeking believers. Because of this great, I would say, great, great desire of God, right away when Peter mentioned the Savior, he also mentioned the stone. Christ is our stone Savior. Amen. I want you to get this thought. And this is why in Peter it mentions that he is a living stone. And the very next point it says, we are living stones. Peter's name was changed. Our name was changed. When we got regenerated, we became living stones. What are living stones for? Living stones are to be put together, to be built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. For eternity, mutually, God will be dwelling in man. Man will be dwelling in God. Not heaven! But what? But one another. Where is God's dwelling place? God's dwelling place is to build up, redeem, transform And glorified man. Where is man's dwelling place? The process and consummated triune God. God and man. Man and God will be dwelling in one another for eternity. This is God's dwelling place. And Peter spoke it right away at the very beginning of his message. He mentioned Savior, but he also mentioned stone. Those of you who have read the Old Testament, let me just... Revert a little bit here. In Genesis 28, we have one of the greatest dreams in the entire universe. This is a dream that is phenomenal. I'm going to ask Bobby to turn to Genesis chapter 28. Here you have Jacob running away from his brother. His brother wants to kill him. His brother wants to murder him. He's running away. He's there. He's heading to his Uncle Laban's in another city. Between that, he has to spend the night. And Jacob was not like his brother Esau. Jacob was... You know, well, the Bible just says that, well, he's probably not like Justin. Jacob was smooth skinned and he was kind of in the house. He was domestic. I say a euphemism, right? He was domestic. But Esau, wow, Esau was a hairy man, macho man. He had hair all over the place, not only on his head, but he had hair on his neck and on his arms and all over the place. Hairy man. And he was a hunter. He wouldn't be in this conference. He'd be out shooting deer. Right? <laughs> and so you know the story. Jacob cheated Esau through his mother's manipulation. Well, actually, Rachel was the one who was behind the scenes. She had manipulated everything. So Jacob was taken off because his brother wanted to kill him. And there he was. He had to rest. He was scared. He was in the wilderness. He was by himself. He was running away from his brother who wanted to kill him he wanted to put as much distance in between knowing that his brother was the hunter and he didn't know how far his uncle lived away so he was there lonely desperate not knowing what he was doing not knowing where he was going empty i would say unoccupied fear of the unknown sleeping in the woods by himself i don't know if he'd ever done that before you know what this describes? This describes the life of a freshman. <laughs> Leave home. You're not sure where you are. You're not sure where you're going. You're sleeping. The first time in your whole life, mom and dad aren't there. They can't, they can't cook you every meal. If you're in the dorm, if you're in the meal plan, you're happy. If you're not on the meal plan, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do with my food? I found out, is it Chickleville? Is that where we went the other day, chick Huh? Huh? Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. If when Jacob was running away, if there was chick Chick-fil-A's there, I don't think so. He was lonely. A freshman life. You cannot live your life off of Wendy's and chick chickies. Chick fil A's. <laughs> you can't do that. Lonely, not knowing, but you know what? Open open. He was an open person. He was naughty. He was young. He was running, but he was open. That's the life of a freshman. Naughty, young, running, but open. And the Lord came. Here he is. Jacob is there, and he gets a pillow. What does he use for his pillow? A stone. What kind of... that? I can tell Jacob, I'm going to ask him in the next day, Jacob, you probably didn't do much camping either, did you? <laughs> you can at least use some moss or something. He used a stone for a pillow. He probably never spent the night out of his house before. He never went camping. You know, Esau probably lived in the woods, but here Jacob, he never went. He didn't know what to use as a pillow. He used a stone. I'm telling you this. You should know the story, right? He was there, and then he had a dream. He saw the ladder being set up. He saw the angels ascending and descending. He saw the Son of Man. Well, he saw the ladder. He saw, the, he saw everything. Then he woke up from the dream, and he said, Wow, this is an awesome place. This is Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Then what did he do? He took the pillow as his stone, and he put it up on its on its side, and made it into a pillar. And then he poured oil on that pillar. Where did Jacob get the oil? What a strange thing. I can tell he really wasn't the camper. He came with oil. He didn't come with other things. He brought oil with him. I don't know. Do you think oil was hiding out someplace in in the woods? No. He poured oil on it. And he called this the gate of heaven. This is very, very significant related to the stone. The oil represents in the Bible, the spirit. The pillar represents transform humanity, not natural humanity, but regenerated and transformed humanity. The house of God is the issue of divinity mingled with humanity. When you have the oil coming upon humanity, regenerated and transformed humanity. The issue, the result, is the house of God. The house of God is not a building. The house of God is not physical. The house of God is when you enjoy Christ. Amen. When you enjoy the Lord as the Spirit, what is the issue? The issue is the house of God. Amen. So the pillowstone became the pillar stone. The pillow stone met Jacob's need personally through regeneration. The pillar stone meets God's need corporately for the building through transformation. Transformation fulfills God's need. Regeneration fulfills man's need. Man's need is taken care of by Christ as the pillow, as the real rest. When we receive Christ, we receive the real rest. But you only have man's need taken care of. That's like the Lord coming to us as our Savior. Thank the Lord the Lord is our Savior. Man's need is taken care of. But all, so many Christians stop at man's need. You have the incident. You have the dream there. You have God's need. God's need is for a building. He doesn't just want a lot of dear individual believers. No, he wants the believers built up. And this is the pillar stone. And this pillar stone is anointed with the spirit. When you have the anointing, the mingling of divinity and humanity, you have the house of God. You have the open heavens. You have the traffic between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. The result is Bethel. The consummate Bethel is the new Jerusalem. Today's Bethel is the reality of the church as the body of Christ. This is the vision. This is the view. This is why Peter spoke. As soon as he said something about the Savior, he said the stone. The Savior meets man's need. The stone meets God's need. God has a need in this universe. We always take care of our need, but God's need is that we would be built up as the house of God. That he could live, he could be expressed. A house is a place of expression. If I come to your house, right? Who's this brother right here? Brandon. Brandon, come stand up, Brandon. You're from where, Brandon? Uh, Gainesville. Gainesville. How about, Brandon, you and I go back to your house? Okay. Okay? I'm sure that if I go back to Brandon's house, that house will express him, right, Brandon? Socks in the air. Am I too much? Mm, Maybe not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He has a certain expression. He just has a certain... So, Brandon, you know what... I think you need to come to Anaheim for a couple of years, too. Probably. Yeah, you, you, your socks will be taken care of. <laughs> Our house expresses who we are. Our house is a place. And so the Lord, in his deep desire, in his heart's desire, not only comes to us as the Savior to save us from sin, thank the Lord for that, but also comes to us as the stone. For God's building, for God's desire, for God's interest. So right away, as Peter was speaking about the Savior, he also mentioned the stone. When Peter said, he got the revelation in Matthew 16, the Lord says, who do men say that I am? Peter, he was so good. He answered it so correctly. He got A, 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 A plus. He got valedictorian at that time. He said, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. Everybody was saying, he's Elijah, he's this, he's that, he's that that prophet, he's that person, he's that person. Peter says, no, no, no. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord says, Peter, this is marvelous. My father has revealed this to you. As soon as Peter said, you are the Christ, what did the Lord say? The Lord says, you are the church. What is the church? The church is the built up house of God. The church is all the stones being built together. Right away... In in John chapter 1, Peter came. The Lord was introduced to him as the Christ. His name was changed to stone. Then in Matthew 16, Peter says, you're the Christ. The Lord says, you're the stone. You're the church. And upon this rock, not just upon Peter, but upon the revelation of Christ, I will build my church. What is the church? The church is the built-up stones. In Ephesians chapter 2, Speaks about this. You write that verse down. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. Speaks about the church as the building of God. <clears throat> we, um, last month I was in London. <clears throat> we stayed with a couple who we had known. The brother <clears throat> was um, one of the students at UCLA <clears throat> with us a number of years ago. And uh, he married somebody. Uh, she's from Ireland. She's of Irish descent. So we got to have some time with them during this last time. Of course, we know, we know them quite well before, but because of our time together, uh, we got to know one another quite well, more. I'd just like to give a simple story about this sister. Here she was, raised in Ireland, typical Irish person, had no interest in God, had a family who was just nominal Catholics. And <clears throat> eventually she came, she, she got her nursing degree, she worked as a nurse, but she still wasn't seeking the Lord. <clears throat> in her early 20s, after she got her nursing degree, the Lord began, something began to move in her about the meaning of human life. And then it turned out that at a certain point of time, <clears throat> the Lord stirred within her. And she began to seek the reality of Christ. And eventually she got saved in a marvelous, dynamic way. She was already in her probably mid-twenties at that point in time, having worked all over the East and this place and that place. Her one goal was to travel. So she became a nurse in one of the Middle Eastern countries. You know, if you go to Saudi Arabia, at least at that time, they could not have the nurses as females because the females weren't allowed to work. So, they invited so many of the European nurses there to come to work. One of the perks of working there was uh, they had long vacation times and they could travel anywhere on the earth free. That was one of the perks. So, she did her years of traveling. She went here, there, everywhere. And she realized after all that traveling that that did not satisfy her. Then she began to seek something real and something deep. Well... Praise the Lord, she got saved. After she got saved, she began to really seek the Lord earnestly and began to seek the things of the Bible in the Word. And she became quite open to the Lord, quite zealous, didn't know what to do. But all she knew within is that somehow she wanted to know the Lord more. She was in a place there. At that time, she was living in London. She was in a place there... And it was filled with a number of young people. But they spoke the same message again and again and again. They spoke the message of Christ as her Savior. About nine months into this, she began to have a cry within. Is there anything more? I'm already saved. Please tell me, is there something more than Christ as my Savior? Am I just going to be here on the earth, just waiting to go to heaven? What kind of life is that? What does the Bible mean? If it's only me going to heaven, how come the Bible is so big? Can anybody tell me what is the purpose, not of my human life, but of my Christian life? What is the purpose of my Christian life? Then it turned out that another young person in that group got a hold of Brother Watchman Nee's normal Christian life. If you've never read that book, it's required reading for every young person. Brother Watchman Nee gave that in the 1930s in England, in English. He came and he spoke there. That was right at the time of the beginning of the war, World War II, there. And he was there and he spoke. Marvelous, marvelous speakings. They got a hold. And you know what? And then she got another book, another book from Watchman Nee. And she read those books five or six times in a short time. She just was devouring it. She was devouring it. Then she received at that point in time, she received another book and that book was by Brother Witness Lee. Something, uh, I don't remember which book it was but she read it and she thought, wow they're the same. In fact she thought that Brother Lee copied Brother Lee. But then she realized afterwards no, they're the same, they're speaking the same thing. And then she looked in the cover there and she found Living Stream Ministry. And it had a phone number on there in Anaheim. She was in London. And her, she found another book. Let me tell you this. She found another, they went to a Christian bookstore in London there. And they found a few books by Brother Need. They bought it all and they just began to read. Well, when they received their first book from Living Stream, she called the number there in Anaheim and because she was already such a seeking one, she wanted something more than just salvation, more than just waiting for heaven. What kind of life is that, just to wait for heaven? It's meaningless, sorry. What kind of life, is? what kind of existence is that? You just try to be good, you just try to wait for something? What is the purpose of the Christian life? Again, I say, not, as, not the purpose of the human life, but the purpose of the Christian life. And then she called. <clears throat> and the first question one of the first questions she asked, she said, "Can you please tell me where Watchman Nee meets? I want to go find and meet him. Is he still meeting in London in England in the British Isles? Is he still meeting here? Is he meeting in China? I'd like to go attend the meeting with Watchman Nee." And of course they told her, "Well, <laughs> Brother the Watchman nee has passed away quite a while ago. This was just a few years ago." <clears throat> And she said, well, how about Brother, how about Witness Lee? Well, he's also passed. But let me tell you, there is a place here in Cambridge. You can just go there and meet and see. <clears throat> and she went there to Cambridge and she found the bookstore there and she began to speak. She couldn't get out of it. She went in there and she saw all these books by Brother Nee. and all these books by Brother Lee. She just began to devour. She says, she says, I'm in heaven. I don't need to go to heaven, I'm in heaven. And she began, she couldn't leave that bookstore. She was fellowshipping with the sisters for a few hours. She just and she just kept going back. And eventually she came into the church lot. Then after that, some of her dear friends and her dear believers begin to rise up against her, saying this and that. It's a terrible place to meet. Witness Lee has bad teachings. This one has that. This one has that. They're a cult. They do this, they do that, they do this, they do that. She says, please allow me the opportunity to find out myself. How can I just believe you? I've been searching all my life, I've been searching all my Christian life for the meaning of my Christian life. And I believe these brothers in their writings have told me. And now you come to me and tell me all these things. Why didn't you tell me about the meaning of my Christian life when I was with you? How come now when I begin to touch something real, you tell me all these bad things? Is that fair? She said, allow me one week. So she spent one week there with all the books and the Bible. She was thoroughly convinced this is the way. And they said, oh, bad on you. Witness Lee's bad. bad, everybody's bad. She secretly said, you're bad. I found the meaning of my Christian life and now she's serving the lord her and her husband are just serving the lord in a few her husband was on the other side of the earth in Los Angeles <clears throat> growing up in the hard section of LA east LA just <clears throat> tough tough place right he saw shootings all the time well eventually the lord gained him at a young age he did have a heart to the lord but all he knew was to go to seminary He went to seminary. And his spirit and his spiritual life was just killed in seminary. So he said, forget about God. So he went to UCLA. And there, when he was on campus there, something began to stir within him. And he was there, and he found the brothers. One of the brothers was in his class. And they got to talking. Eventually, he went through a similar process. Of seeking and finding. And he found the meaning of his Christian life. I can't tell you the full story, but it was very similar. And it turned out that this sister was brought into the church life almost the same month that this brother was brought into the church life. She was brought in London and he was brought in Los Angeles. Unbeknownst to them. Same month. Right? <clears throat> and then they both passed. She went to the full time training in London, he went to the full time training in Anaheim. They were serving. And then all of a sudden the Lord brought them together. And now they're a serving couple. Marvelous. But I want to tell you this story to let you know that there is a purpose of our salvation. The purpose of our salvation is that what? Is that we would be the stone, the living stones for God's building. And this is why Peter said that this stone is precious rejected by men, but chosen by God. In God's New Testament economy, I'm reading A, Christ as God's chosen and precious cornerstone, saves us to make us living stones and transform us for the building up of God's spiritual house, his dwelling place. B, how about we read that together? <clears throat> as the all-inclusive living and precious
1: stone, Christ is the centrality and universality of God's new
0: building up of his eternal habitation. He's the living stone. Through our regeneration and salvation, we become the living stones. To the believers, in Matthew 21, he's the foundation stone. To the unbelieving Jews, he's the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. To the nations, he's the smiting stone. To the believers being built up, He is the cornerstone. The Lord builds up the Jewish and Gentile believers. The Lord builds up all the different races, all the different classes of people into one. It is, I will say this in a careful way, but I will also say this in a declaratory way. It is tragic that people today meet in places according to race. This is all together, not in the Bible. This is all together foreign. We don't meet according to our culture. We don't meet according to our race. We don't meet according to our nationality. We don't meet according to those we like and those we don't like. No. The Lord is the cornerstone bringing the great peoples of the Jewish and the Gentile believers into one. There's only one building. There's only one building on the earth today. It is not fragmented into a lot of denominations. No. Denominations are not allowed in the Bible. You read it. You read it. There's no such thing as a denomination. There's only the church in one city. We're here in Athens, or whatever city this is. In Athens, there's just a church in Athens. What is it composed of? The church in Athens is composed of all real believers in Athens. Whether they desire to meet with us or not, that's up to them. But we're standing as the church in Athens. The one testimony, receiving all the believers, right? As the one expression of the one eternal God. So the Lord is the cornerstone, building the Jewish and the Gentile believers into one. And in Zechariah, the Lord is the the topstone as the consummation of God's building, So, in conclusion, I'd just like to say this. The Lord came to Peter, even though Peter failed miserably. Right? The Lord still came. You know, the Lord, he doesn't want us to be in a movement. When the Lord decided to come to man, he came one-on-one. He visited a man personally. He didn't say, he was God, he could have just said. He could have just got the whole nation of Israel together, you could say, follow me. I'm the leader. He came for three and a half years. He went and contacted people one-on-one. Peter, follow me. Matthew, follow me. How did he come? He came by the way of being personally and intimately and affectionately gaining people for himself. And this is how the Lord comes to us. Yes, we come to a conference We come to with a lot of people, but the Lord comes to us one-on-one. Why? Because he wants to gain us personally. He wants to gain us individually. He wants to gain us intimately. He wants to gain us affectionately. I hope this will become part of your vocabulary. When you think about Christ, you think about affection. Thank you. I would say that, at least in many of our experiences, some of us are the older ones here, the Lord began to attract us when we were college students. And to tell you the truth, the Lord is so attractive today. Amen. I don't know if I could say so much, but the Lord is still so attractive.
1: Amen.
0: This is why we're here. Why are these old men here, Vern? Why are we all here? All of us, right? <clears throat> we're just all here. Why? Because the Lord is just so charming. He is so attractive. Why? The Lord is visiting us one one. one. The Lord even visited, right? <clears throat> The Lord visited you. I believe He visited you this morning. I believe in this meeting He wants to visit you again. How does He visit you? One by one. The Lord, in His visitation, comes to us one by one, individually, personally. This is why He is preciousness itself. Then, as the precious stone, He not only takes care of our sins as sinners, but He also is the foundation. He also is the cornerstone for God's building. He also is the living stone as the goal and the purpose of God's salvation, that the body of Christ in its reality would be built up, that the new Jerusalem would be consummated. This is who we are. And this is why Peter could say preciousness. He's precious in who he is, and he's precious in what he is as God's building. Amen? Okay, I think at this point in time, if we could get... Uh, I asked Vern if it was okay if we could teach you one song. Some of you may know this song. This song was written by two young sisters. They were both students. One wrote the melody, and one wrote the lyrics. And it should be in your your, uh, packet here. It's on the supplemental song sheet. And it's My Only Hope.